Well, good evening. Acts chapter 16 tonight. Acts chapter 16. Before we get into the message tonight, I would just like to ask you, and I know that I said this on Sunday, just to keep praying for this coming Sunday service and the worship and the message, uh, just to give you an idea uh, of, I think, what God wants to do here. I ran into a gal who's only been coming to the Oasis for a couple weeks, and actually her, her job is that she works with troubled young women, and she said, Pastor Jeff, I want to tell you that I have five gals coming with me who are in crisis, and they're going to come on Sunday to hear this message. So I really believe that God is going to bring the people here that you know, need to hear or need to hear it to encourage others. And so I'm just praying for a really, that God will just move and be here in a special way. And would you join me in prayer for that on Sunday? If I had to title Acts chapter 16, of course, the entire book of Acts, I would say, is Christ's vision for his church. And I, I want us to keep that in mind tonight, and I'll refer back to that during the message tonight out of Acts chapter 16. It's Christ's vision for his church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But in this particular chapter, I, I, as, I, as I read and studied this chapter, I think I would title it Open Hearts and Open Doors. Um, for instance, one of the, the times it's referred to open hearts is when we uh, get down to Lydia there in Philippi, and it says the Lord opened her heart basically to the message that the apostles were bringing, and she invited Jesus in. Uh, and so it's a reminder of God, but we're going to see other open hearts in Acts chapter 16 as well. And then, you know, the very famous passage where Paul and Silas are in prison, and God miraculously opens up the doors of the prison, and eventually the jailer uh, and his entire household becomes believers in Jesus Christ, so God opens the doors there. But I think you're going to see, as we walk through this passage tonight, that there's even more open hearts and, and open doors that, that God is bringing to the surface. And tonight, obviously, let's start at the beginning in Acts chapter 16, and let's sort of set the context here. Let's remember last week at the end of chapter 15, Paul has sort of had a very painful breakup with his initial ministry partner, Barnabas. And they had a sharp disagreement over John Mark, and they split up, and Barnabas took John Mark, and Paul picked up Silas. And it is now at this point that they enter Paul and Silas into Lystra and Derby. And as they get there, it just so happens that Paul meets this young man named Timothy. I want to talk about this section for a moment because there's, again, several things in here that remind us of Christ's vision for his church. The first thing we see about Timothy is the Bible says that here was a disciple named Timothy, a disciple. In other words, Timothy was already a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And this is Christ's vision for his church. Go into all the world and make disciples. Don't just get people to believe. Get them to become disciples. And, and the reason why this is so vital is, let me use this as an, as an illustration. How crazy would it be physically if we in our society birthed children, we, we gave birth to children, and then after they were born, we just left them go? 
You fend for yourself, you know. Go on your own. And yet many churches and many ministries and many Christians, that's sort of how they, they look at this, you know, this whole Christian thing. We just get people saved and then they're just sort of on their own. No, that's crazy, you know. No, God calls us to disciple them and to build them and make them into disciples. And the reason I want to emphasize this tonight, because this is Christ's vision for his church, is not that we would be believers, but we would be disciples, is we're going to see here in just a moment that Timothy ends up leaving and becoming Paul's partner. And the reason why Timothy was in a position to, for Paul to take note of him at this point was because he was a disciple. You see, being a disciple puts us in a position where we are then ready for the next stage of our spiritual growth. Whatever it is God wants to do next, and it might not be some big life-changing thing like, I'm going to leave my family and friends behind, I'm going to go with Paul on some great missionary journey. It might not be something like that, but being a disciple puts us in a position for that next stage, that next step, whatever God is calling us to next. It also puts us in a place where we are willing to say yes. When Paul tapped him and said, I want you to accompany me, notice Timothy didn't hesitate to leave his family and friends and all that he knew behind, and he went with Paul, this young man. And we know that that was really something big for Timothy because later on we learn from the letters that Paul writes to Timothy that Timothy was this very timid, sort of introverted, backward young man that had a lot of you know, fear and all of that going on. And so it was no small deal for Timothy to accompany Paul whenever Paul tapped him as he met him at Derby and Lister. The other thing I want us to note is how cool is God that even after Paul experienced this painful breakup, if you will, with his ministry partner Barnabas, and then he, he has Silas, but right around the corner, in a sense, Here's Timothy. And the reason why I say that's so special is if you know anything about Paul and Timothy's relationship, you know that Paul finally found his kindred spirit. He, he never ministered with someone that he was as close to, that he was in sync with, that he fit with as much as he did Timothy. He and Timothy were just like, you know, they just, they just went together. And, and, and I want to say this, you know, this is Christ's vision for his church as well, not just to be disciples but to enter into partnerships with other Christians to accomplish things. And one of the things we learn even about the Apostle Paul is that Paul didn't necessarily fit with everybody that he was partnered with. Um, you know, some, some Christians we just, we mesh with, we fit with, we minister more effectively with than we do others. And, and Paul found that with Timothy finally. He didn't really have that with Barnabas. He didn't really have that with Silas, but he had it with Timothy. And God doesn't want us to do ministry by ourselves. God wants us to find partners and, and, and to do ministry as, as teams and as joint participants so that we can not only collaborate with each other, but so we can mutually strengthen and encourage and pray for each other and just be by each other's side. And going back to what Ecclesiastes says, two are better than one. If one falls down, then there's somebody else to pick the other one up. And all of these advantages to having a partner. And so Paul saw something in Timothy pretty quickly that Paul said there in the passage, 
Paul chose Timothy to accompany him. There was something about Timothy, something special that Paul took note of and said, I want this young man on my team. So cool. Such a, such a cool thing that was happening here. And I just want to say that I am so thankful for the partners in ministry that I have here. And especially, uh, I, I probably work more closely with Nicole than anyone else because God really is trying to build a church of worshipers and the word and complimenting each other that uh, I, just, I just so appreciate Nicole and the partnership and the way we work together because I feel like after all these years of ministry that I had out there, that I finally have a kindred spirit that I can work with and that we really see things the same and that God is using us to build a church of worship and the word together. And that's so cool. Again, you're, you're not going to necessarily fit like a glove with every Christian that you work with, but you might find one or two along your lifetime that you go, man, we, we really mesh together. We, we're really on the same page. We really think alike. We really see things the same, whatever. And all I can say is when you find those people in your life, they are a blessing to you. Because you just, you, you really, you create that synergy between you that you can accomplish so much more as a team or as, as partners than you ever could on your own. So, you see this dynamic. Now, let, let's go on quickly. There's so much in this passage. The next thing that Paul asked Timothy to do would sort of blow most people's minds. Paul asked Timothy to be circumcised. Wait a minute. Didn't Paul just make this big deal in the previous chapter about not being circumcised? Yes, but that was for salvation. Notice here, Paul is asking Timothy to be circumcised, not for salvation, but to open up a greater platform of ministry for Timothy. Remember, Timothy, the Bible says here, came from a Jewish mother and a Greek father. So he was half Jewish. And Paul is simply saying, Timothy, God has called us first to minister to Jews. And I'm just telling you that they will be more receptive to us and especially to you if you are willing to be circumcised. And so what that tells us is that one of Christ's visions for his church is, are we willing as God's servants to make some sacrifices personally not that we have to make them, but would we willingly make them in order to open up a platform for greater ministry, in order to have greater inroads into maybe people's lives by maybe doing something or not doing something or whatever that would open up doors for us into other people's lives because that's what was happening here. He was not asking Timothy, he wasn't forcing Timothy to be circumcised, he wasn't saying, Timothy, you have to be circumcised to be saved. He was simply saying, we're going on ministry and we're going to be ministering to Jews and I think that your ministry would be better received if you were circumcised. And then this first passage about Paul and Timothy getting hooked up here sort of ends with the idea that the church was being strengthened. Notice that there. And they were increasing in numbers daily. But what I want you to notice is, first of all, it doesn't say the church was growing in numbers. First of all, it says the church was being strengthened in their faith. The church was growing spiritually. And then out of this church growing spiritually, the church was growing numerically. Many churches and ministries try to do it the opposite today. They try to grow numerically and then somehow try to bring the spiritual into it. That's really hard to do because 
the best witnesses and the best, if you will, advertisement, I know that might not be the best word for church and for God, are mature believers, not immature believers. And I'll never forget what one of my mentors, Dr. Woodrow Crow, many of you may be uh, familiar with Dr. Crow at one time for about 15 years. He was a general director at Back to the Bible. He took over for Warren Wearsby there in Lincoln, Nebraska. And Dr. Crow once told me, he said, Jeff, you take care of the depth of your ministry and God will take care of the breadth. And I have never forgotten that. That is something that I have built my life on. That is a principle that I've tried to build this church on. If we take care of the depth of our ministry, God will take care of the breadth. And you see that happening here at the very end of this first section of, of Acts 16, where Paul meets Timothy and chooses him to accompany him. The next section is this. Notice very interestingly that the Bible tells us here, and we're again starting to see some, some of the vision Christ has for his churches, Christ wants his people to be guided and directed and led by his Holy Spirit. And so you'll notice in this next section that it first says that the Holy Spirit actually prevented these disciples from going in a certain direction. Nope, don't go there. And then a little bit later, and I want you to note this, notice that the Net Bible says the Spirit of Jesus then says, don't go here. And why I want to show you that is because this is the one instance in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit is literally called the Spirit of Jesus. And remember, I've told you before, it's sometimes hard to understand something that is, you can't, you know, touch and feel and all that. And that's who the Holy Spirit is. He's obviously a spirit being. But I said, if, if you want a little help there, the Holy Spirit, just put Jesus's face on the Holy Spirit. Because even though they are three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they are one God. And so why I say that is because if the Holy Spirit would do this, then so would Jesus. They, they're never going to contradict themselves. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are never going to be out of sync with each other. What one thinks is good, the other two are going to think is good too. So it's really cool here that he first references the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit, but then just a few verses later, the Spirit of Jesus, don't go there. You and I need to be guided, directed, and led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his followers, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, not only so he can teach you, but so he can guide you into all truth. And so as they're trying to determine, where do we go from here? Let the Holy Spirit lead and guide and direct us. But then... Notice that God then sends Paul a vision. And in this vision, there's this man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. Couple things. First of all, let's talk about where this is coming from. This is God now saying, I don't want you to go in this direction. I want you to go over here. And basically what was happening is the gospel was going to be taken to Europe. And that's where God wanted the gospel to go. It was starting to come up in from the Middle East up into Europe. God would send other people east, but at this point in church history, he was going more west. And so come over and help us. Couple things. One, do we ask people for help when we need it? <laughs> it's an important point, right? That not only... Should we be there to help others? And are we, and there's the other side of this, are we willing to help those who need help? But do we ask for help when we need it? Both are needed in the church. 
If Christ has a vision for his people, it is that we would be willing to ask for help when we need it, and two, that we would be willing to help whenever we hear a cry for help. And that's what was happening in the vision. But I want you to see something very important as well. Notice Paul here in this passage doesn't go back to the rest of the team and say, hey, God gave me a vision about this man in Macedonia saying, come over to help us, so let's go. No, no, no. I want you to notice a really key word here, the word concluding. Notice it says that we all concluded that God was now sending us in this direction. So here's what that tells me. Is Paul came back to his other team members and said, hey, I had this vision. God gave me this vision of this guy over in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. What do you all think? And the reason why that's important is because, again, that's Christ's vision for his church, that, that one of us wouldn't just go off willy-nilly on our own without at least getting with a few other people that we trust and bouncing it off of them because as we've seen before in the book of Acts and elsewhere in the Bible, if God is in something, if he's working in something, then he's working on all sides. And if God was in this, then God would not only be impressing this on Paul's heart, God would be impressing it on the other team member's heart as well. And so you see here that the whole team concluded after discussing it and after talking about the vision and maybe other things that they were experiencing because we don't have all the information here. This isn't all inclusive that they all decided, yes, that's God's will. That's where God wants us to go. And they took off. So first section, you have the importance of discipleship and partnership and all these wonderful things and the strengthening of the church and all of that. In this section, you have the importance of Christ's vision being the guiding and directing of the Holy Spirit, but also God is not limited to that when he leads and guides us, whether it's through visions or, or messages or a friend or anything else. Remember, the Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there's safety, and that's certainly the dynamic that was happening here as Paul shared his vision, and they concluded that that's what God's will was, and they took off for Macedonia. Then we come to the third section. As they come into this area and enter into Philippi they're, they're trying to figure out you know where do we go you know who, who does God want us to meet up with and talk to and notice the Bible says that as they come they come to a place of prayer this is the first time you'll see that phrase in Acts chapter 16 a little bit later on you find that they go back to this place of prayer it's a place by the river and whatever and it's a place basically where people gather for prayer There's a couple things about that first of all the church was a praying church. Christ's vision for his people is that we be a praying people. And even though the Bible says to pray without ceasing, this phrase, place of prayer, also reminds us that there also needs to be in our life a little bit of discipline, of having either a place or a time during the day or during our weeks where we get alone with God and we pray. As I've said, Jesus had that. The Garden of Gethsemane was sort of Jesus' place of prayer. When Jesus wanted to get away and wanted to talk to his Father, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. That was his place of prayer. And we know that there was a place of prayer here in Philippi. But notice something also, and this is sort of sad, is that when they got there, there weren't any men there praying. It was just women. And can I just say, guys, that a lot of times women shame us when it comes to, you know, being the prayer warriors of, of the body and of being interested in spiritual things. But I'm so thankful, at least at our church, that we have men 
who are willing to step up and be leaders and spiritual leaders and, and prayer warriors as well. But many times women take the lead, and you see that here. And in this time where they, one woman stands out, a woman by the name of Lydia. And the Bible tells us here that she was a smart businesswoman and that she was God-fearing, meaning this. She had a respect and reverence for a godly being, and she believed in God. But as of yet, she did not have all the information she needed, which was about Jesus, to become a Christian. That's where Paul and his band of missionaries would come into play. And then the Bible says this. The Bible says the Lord opened her heart to the message that they spoke to her. That is so important. See, God wants to open our hearts. And the only way you and I can be saved, the, the only way you and I can change and be transformed is to allow God to open our heart. It's a work of God. That's why I tell you, you know, take the pressure off yourself. All God wants us to do is share his word and to share him and all of that. But we can't change hearts. Only God can do that. We do what we can do and let the results and let the changing of hearts up to God. God's vision for his church is that we be people of prayer and that we be people who share his word and then let him change the heart. And that's even what he did with Lydia. And notice she becomes a believer and the Bible says she was immediately baptized because baptism is not part of our salvation but it is the first step of obedience after salvation. By the way, that just reminds me, probably this Sunday I need to start announcing we need to have a baptism because I know Katie has been after me for a long time and I know there are others who are newer who are coming to the Oasis that have hit me up in the last three weeks to four weeks like, Pastor, when are we going to have a baptism? So, I need to do that, so remind me about that if I forget. Anyway, she was baptized, and then I love this. She says at the end of this section, if you consider me to be a believer, would you come and stay with me at my house? And notice now she's not only opened up her heart to God, she's opened up her home to God's people. She immediately is evidencing the reality that God has come into her life, and now she wants to be a blessing because she's been blessed. And she, you know, opens up her home and is hospital. And I love this. She says, if you consider me, she, notice she's not saying, I am a believer. She says, if you see the evidence in me, then you come and stay at my house because I want to bless you. I want to take care of you. I, I, I want to I share my resources with you. And obviously she had them because, again, the Bible tells us that Lydia was a very, very astute businesswoman in those days, a seller of purple. And by the way, purple was one of the colors and one of the garments and one of the claws that was uh, very, very much for the, you know, the uh, people with means, if you will. So you have this beautiful now story of, of, of not only Paul and Timothy, but now you have this little vision of Paul and this Macedonian man who is saying, help us. And now you come to Paul and Lydia and what I want you to see, because we're going to continue to see this, is do you notice something already in Acts chapter 16? It's God changing the world one heart at a time. You know, sometimes as the church, we think, well, if we can't do anything big, if we can't have some, you know, mass, you know, crusade where, you know, thousands of people, you know, all this, then let's not. No, God says, you just go out there. Let me send you. Because we saw that Sunday, that's one of the purposes of God is, I want you to just be my representatives everywhere you go to everyone you see, 
And as we go, God just says, just touch people. And, and don't think of it as just one person at a time, one heart at a time. And think about this, maybe to make it a little bit more manageable. If each one of us in the body of Christ just touched one heart a week, and you think about all the people we meet in a week, all the people we come in contact with in a week, if you and I just even encouraged or touched someone's heart once a week, that means at the end of the year we would have changed 52 lives. 52 lives would have been changed in, in one year, and that's just one a week. And that's what God, God's just looking for us to just each one reach one. And that's what you see here in Acts. Paul's changing Timothy's life by asking him to accompany him. This Macedonian man in the vision and Paul are relating. And then he comes to Philippi, and guess what? It's this one gal named Lydia. And then she obviously shares it with her whole household, and her whole household becomes believers, and they're rejoicing, and they're, it's just wonderful. But then, notice the next thing. As they continue to minister, all of a sudden, there's this slave girl. And this slave girl that we meet in this next part of Acts chapter 16 is actually in double bondage, we learn. She's not only a slave girl in a sense physically, but she is enslaved to an evil spirit within her. And the Bible tells us that as Paul and his, his team are ministering and they're going around speaking, that this, this girl who, who is, uh, has this ability through this evil spirit to basically uh, gain a lot of, of money through sort of being a what we would call today a a palm reader or a fortune teller or someone who can, you know, supposedly look into the future and all of this, and that's always been in high demand of, of people, especially people who are caught up in, in, you know, false belief, that she's following them around and she's actually declaring truth. She says, these are the servants of the Most High God, you know, proclaiming the way of salvation. And you would think, because it's true that Paul would just let it go. But as I said last week, I think, we have to be careful that we don't try to let the spiritual enemy play any part in our ministry because ultimately his game plan is not to help us but to hurt us. And somewhere along the line, this was not going to go well. So notice the next thing the Bible says. It says, Paul became annoyed. I love that because... I've talked to several of you, you know, sometimes about the spiritual warfare thing and, and feeling like, you know, Satan is attacking and, you know, all of that at, at certain times. And it's gotten to a place in my life, I don't know about yours, where it, it, it's not something that causes me fear or anxiety or all that. It's more just an annoyance. Like, would you just get away and leave me alone? Because, you know, again, greater is he who is in me than he who is in you. And you're just not going to win this battle, and you're just, you're just trying to distract me. You're just trying to annoy me. And it's, it's more of an annoyance than it is anything. And I think that's where Paul was. Like, just stop it. You know, I don't need advertisement from the devil of what we're trying to do here, you know. It's just distracting, you know. And then he turns to her, and he basically says, in the name of Jesus, you evil spirit, come out of this girl. And the Bible says immediately this demonic spirit came out of this girl, and she was free spiritually. She was released. Now, she may have still been a slave as far as social standing goes, but spiritually, her spirit was released, and her spirit was free. And here again, one person, 
this slave girl, one person. And notice something too. Notice sort of the, the contrast between Lydia, this well-to-do business woman of the city, probably someone of very high reputation and high social standing. And then the very next turn, you've got this slave girl on the bottom rung of society, you know, has nothing, no status, no power, no nothing, and yet God's working in her life too. You see, you see both sides of it here. And we don't know what happened to the slave girl except the fact that this evil spirit was released from her. But we do know what happens next. And that is that the, the people that were profiting from her life and her gift, if you want to call it that, through this evil spirit, became very angry and very agitated and basically turned the entire city against Paul. Now, before I move on, I want us to say this. It is also God's vision for his people that we be, willing, or that we be aware of our spiritual enemy and of what he's trying to do and his strategy and all of that and, and be aware that at times we are not only going to be coming up against, you know, human challenges and, and, and human obstacles, but sometimes we're going to be coming up against demonic uh, evil spirits as well, which is why we need to put on the whole armor of God every day and, and be alert to the schemes of, of the enemy. But the Bible says that they became very irritated. They turned the city and the magistrates against Paul and his companions. And notice what it says. Don't miss this. They were beaten with rods. That just sounds painful, can I tell you? Beaten with rods, okay? And then thrown into prison. And of course, the Bible too makes this, you know, effort to remind us that not only were they thrown into prison, but because they were such a big deal as far as prisoners, the Bible says when the jailer found out who they were and how upset everybody was, he threw them into the inner cells and locked them up and made them as secure as he possibly could. And then comes this wonderful story where the Bible says that even after Paul and, si uh, Paul and his companions had been beaten with rods, what are they doing? They are in jail, praying and singing praises to God. And it reminds us that we should not only be who we are in Christ when we are prospering, but also when we are facing adversity. And we should be able to praise the Lord in each and every circumstance because God is worthy of our praise and our worship regardless of what we are going through. And that's exactly what was happening here. And by the way, notice what it says next. The prisoners were listening to them. See, God's vision for his church and for his people is for all us to be, to be reminded that we never know who's watching us and we never know who's listening to us. And we, just by the way we act or react or what we say or what we don't say and all of that, we can be a testimony to God. And many times, just like here, our strongest, greatest testimony is not when things are going well for us, not when we are prospering, but actually when we are in a time or season of adversity. That's when people really watch us because it's like, is their God big enough to be with them in the bad times as he is with them in the good times? And when these prisoners 
after they saw how they had been treated by being beaten with rods and thrown into prison, they saw that they were praying and singing praise to God. And by the way, what do you think they were praying for? Well, we don't know specifically what they were praying for, but usually you find out what someone was praying for in the Bible by what happens in the context. So I've just got to believe that one of the things that Paul and his companions were praying for was the salvation of the people around them. And the reason I say that is because after God sends this earthquake, basically, and supernaturally opens up the doors of the prison, you know the story, you have it there before you, the jailer, the, first of all, the prisoners all escape, and the jailer is freaking out because he understands in, in this that his life is gone now, he, he's going to be killed, and, and you know, what's going to happen in all of this? And yet, Paul sees what's happening and says, sir, we're all here, none of us have left, we've all stayed, and, and don't harm yourself, because he was actually getting ready to kill himself. And then notice what he says. He comes to them and he says, sir, what must I do to be saved? Well, that tells me that not only were the prisoners listening to Paul and the others, the jailer was listening to Paul and the others. They were not only praying about salvation, they were probably singing about the great salvation of God and, and what salvation was and all of that. And it spurred this interest in that this man understood, even in an indirect way, which, by the way, this reminds us that our witnessing is not only sometimes direct, but sometimes very indirect. We don't even think maybe we're witnessing to somebody, but through our prayers and through our worship and through our praise, here was a man now who was being brought to the feet of Jesus and asked them, what must I do to be saved? And I love Paul's simple answer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's it. That's all. It's not be baptized, join the church, be a good person. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Put your personal faith in Jesus and you'll be saved. Well, we know that's exactly what happened. That this man, as well as his entire household, came to believe in Jesus. And by the way, just like with Lydia, notice the next thing that happens. The jailer takes these men to his house. He cleans their wounds. He gives them food, in a sense, again, because he's been blessed. He now wants to be a blessing to them. And don't miss, though, what happens next in the passage. When the magistrates come back the next day and look for Paul and all the prisoners, guess what? They now left the jailer's house, and they went back to the prison. Can you imagine? You're free you're out of jail, and you could just cut and run, but they trust God enough to go back to the prison, and that's where they're found the next day by the magistrates. And the magistrates realize, uh-oh, we, uh, we did some things we shouldn't have done because we find out that these guys are Roman citizens. So I love what they say. They say, oh, you know what? We'll release you. Go in peace. Doesn't that sound like people who throughout our lifetime at times, and hopefully not us to others, who've hurt us and caused us pain, and it's almost like, just get over it. Let's just move on. You beat me with rods and threw me in prison. You want me to just like pretend like it didn't happen, but that's the way people are. Like they'll, they'll inflict pain in our life and they'll hurt us, and it's like, well, just get over it. Move on. It's no big deal. And Paul's going to call him out. He's like, no, I'm not going to let you get away with this. 
you got to come and escort us publicly. But here's the cool thing. It wasn't for Paul's sake because Paul was getting ready to leave town and go somewhere else. So it wasn't like he was trying to do this for himself. What Paul was doing this for was to establish that you all treated me this way, but there's going to be other Christians who come to know Christ in this city, and you better not treat them the way you treated me. I'm putting you on notice. And in a sense, what Paul was doing by making this a big deal was not about himself. It was about trying to provide some future protection for those that would come to Christ in that city after they left. One other thing, if I can remember this, I think it's chapter 16, verse 34. Tell me if I'm right or not. It says something to the effect of that the jailer was rejoicing that he had come to believe in God. Is that the verse? Okay. I love to end, I wanted to end on that because what a great place to end. You know, here's this jailer who didn't even know God. And how did he come to know God? Oh, because two of, or several of God's servants were beaten with rods and thrown into prison. That's, you know, that was God's way of bringing the jailer and his family to the Lord, which, by the way, reminds us that one of Christ's visions for his people is that would we be willing to, in a sense, take a hit personally so that God could reach somebody else through our life? That's why I try to remind all of us, including myself, sometimes when God calls us to suffer or go through adversity or go through pain, it's not about us. Not always. Which is why then it's sort of a mistake for us as Christians to say, why me? Because maybe it doesn't have anything to do with us. Maybe it's that God wants to use what we're going through and how we go through it to reach somebody else. And that's exactly what God did with Paul and his companions. He was able to reach into the heart of this jailer and bring him to Christ and bring his entire family to Christ through the suffering and the pain and all of that that Paul went through. Remember, God told Paul when he saved him, he said, I'm going to show him how many things he's got to suffer for my sake. And Paul went through a lot to bring people to Christ. And he's a great example to us. Are we willing to make certain sacrifices in our life in order for God to use our lives to bring either people to Christ or to, to strengthen and encourage other Christians? And so I love the fact that this jailer rejoiced. I mean, the reason I wanted to end there is, again, because this takes us back to where we began tonight with spending time worshiping the Lord. Here was a man that was so overwhelmed by his salvation and by what God did in his life and what God did for his family that all he could do was praise God. All he could do was praise God. Let us never forget, no matter how many years, no matter how many months, no matter how many weeks, no matter how many days you and I have been saved, may we never get over our salvation. May we never get over that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for you and I. May we never get over that Jesus Christ loves each and every one of us so much that he hung on a cross and bled and died for you and I. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the tremendous weaving of the story of redemption that we see in Acts chapter 16. 
from Paul meeting Timothy, his kindred spirit in ministry, to being called in a vision by God to go into Europe, to meet this woman, Lydia, to see her and her family changed forever, then to meet this slave girl who was in bondage to an evil spirit, be set free and released in the name of Jesus, and then to see this jailer and his family come to know the Lord as well through the adversity that God's people went through. God, this chapter reminds us you're changing hearts and changing lives one at a time. You're changing eternity one life at a time. And God, all that you ask is that each of us be willing to be your representatives to everyone we see every day, wherever we go. And that through the power of your Holy Spirit, they would see the reality of God in our lives and be drawn to Christ. God, would you encourage us with your word and with our worship time tonight? Would we, God, begin and just keep bathing Sunday in prayer? Oh, God, I believe that there's people who are going to come that just really need this time of worship and this time in the word. We all need it, God. We all need it. But God, I believe that there's some people going through great crisis right now in their life that you have, you have orchestrated this time to reach out to them just as you did Lydia and just as you did the jailer, just as you did the slave girl. And that God, you want to change hearts this Sunday. May we be a church coming into Sunday, anticipating and expecting, God, you to change hearts and to change eternity through what happens here this Sunday. May we bathe this time in prayer, God. Go with us the rest of this week. God, continue to be with us. God, we thank you for the miracle that you are performing in Robert, on Robert's foot. And God, again, just a reminder God, of who you are and how great you are and how good you are. May we praise you, God, all the day long. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here, guys. We'll see you next week.